Welcome to allthingsnew.tech, where we are exploring the intersection of theology and technology. Technology is changing our jobs, relationships, and even our identities. It's easy to get excited about all the new things, but as Christians, we also believe that God is redeeming this world through His effort, making all things new. Today, Paul Taylor from All Things New is talking with Andrew LaFoon, the CEO of Mixbook. They provide an online platform to design and collaborate on photo books, mosaics, and other products. Paul and Andrew will be talking about the deep biblical importance of remembering, how images can transform memories into physical objects, and how technology can unleash our God-given desire to create. We hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, I'm Paul Taylor with AllThingsNew.Tech, and I'm here in Redwood City at the Mixbook World Headquarters. I'm sitting with Andrew LaFoon, the founder of Mixbook and a Berkeley grad that I'll forgive him for that, being from Stanford, but we've already had that conversation. Um, so we're talking with Andrew about Mixbook, which does, uh, well, why don't you describe what does Mixbook do in, in a few sentences? Yeah, so Mixbook helps people create beautiful things with their photos. So everything from a photo book of a vacation that you went on to something beautiful like a family photo for your wall, a calendar, or your holiday card. Nice. I like it. And I'm a customer, actually, so I like your product. Cool. Um, let me start way back, though. I remember you telling me that you started getting involved in computer stuff in high school and mm-hmm. you did some HTML stuff back when you needed to know those things. What was the first, like, can you remember what motivated you to get involved in tech first? Good question. Motivation is interesting. I, I think curiosity. Yeah. I always was curious about how things worked. So, and curious to the point of, repeatedly breaking my electronics in my house. Okay. So I would take apart the VCR, just try to open it up. I'm not sure why, but for some reason, I just wanted to figure out how it worked. Yeah. And, you know, the when we first got a CD player, I remember it said, don't open this, there's a laser inside. And you can imagine what I then did. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> opened it up. Right. I never could figure out how to get the laser to work once it was opened. But right. it, yeah. was, uh, it was always very interesting, just how do these things work? How are these things made? I was always very curious about that. Huh. So then when did that curiosity go from disassembly to assembly. Well, <laughs> assembly was always, in theory, part of it. It right. just didn't always work out very well. Yeah, right. Uh, right. And so my parents bought me a Commodore 64, uh-huh. and that's when I really engaged with that much more. And, you know, started out, probably played a lot of video games and all that, and then uh-huh. decided I wanted to modify those video games. I think, it wouldn't it be cool if I could just modify my character and give myself more hit points or do something else that modifies the game? Right. And then I th- realized, no, wait. I can actually create things hmm. with this. That's pretty cool. So then you started writing stuff and building online. Yeah, started doing pro- basic programming and all that. And I was always interested in creating creating things. Yeah. So it was just a natural outlet for that. Right. And now you have this company where you, you know, the theme of creating. We talked about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Like you created something, but what you've created is a tool that allows others to create. So yep. it seems like creating is in your DNA somehow. You're interested in it. Yeah, I think it kind of is it's interesting because I can kind of tell the story of how I got into Mixbook from so many angles. Yeah. There's so many different things that have pushed me to do what I'm doing today when I was actually when I was a kid. Uh, at the same time as I was getting interested in tech, I was also really interested in creating things and telling stories. So I'm like, my, my good friend and I made a series of comic books and would sell them. You would draw them? Yeah, we drew and wrote all the stories and made nice. all that stuff together. Right. I would say 
wasn't necessarily the best artist. Uh, and now, by looking at the stories, they weren't all that great. But there was something about this idea that we're creating a story uh-huh. and we're telling a story. And when I, when I got into Mixbook, the idea of empowering people to create was a really compelling, a really captivating idea. Right, right. That's interesting. So tell me that story, like the beginning of Mixbook. I remember you saying kind of you were trying to disrupt industries and all that. And yeah. How did that, how did it come about? So the initial idea was actually around yearbooks. So the yearbook is a pretty interesting concept because what ends up happening in most high schools is you've got 10 kids creating a yearbook for 2000. Right. So you've got these 10 people who are telling the story. And most people, is their story really told? No, it's not. It's going to be one or two photos of you, a couple photos of your friends, and 300 pages that are not that relevant Uh to your actual high school experience. So we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could democratize storytelling? What if anyone, a group of friends, the sports team, a club could get together and tell the story of their high school experience, right? Create their own yearbook? Create create their their own. Yeah, and create their own, and they could, in theory, they could pull pages, right, from the other people. They could collaborate with their friends. They could pull pages. Maybe their yearbook club might still exist, right? Uh But then you could actually tailor it to your own experience. And the deeper thing that got me really excited, I had made a couple photo books before, and I found that gift-giving experience to be really powerful because Mm -hmm. what photo book does, photo books tend to be centered on a relationship, and they're enabling you to connect with someone. And I found that experience to be powerful, but the creation experience was really bad. I couldn't really make it the way I wanted. It was right. limited to these very strict templates. The designs were not nice. The books were not really that nice in the, either. Uh-huh. And I thought if we could actually just make this creation experience better, a lot more people would probably do this. Right. And how cool would it be if you could, if anyone was empowered to tell their story? You don't have to be a creative person. You don't have to be a designer. You don't have to be a professional. And you just have tools that make it easy to make exactly what you want and tell your story. Right. And that's what got us really fired up about about this. Yeah. So just listening to you talk, it strikes me that, you know, as a company, then you've got very technical people. You've got very creative people. And those don't always, they, they seem like they coexist in you, perhaps. But that's not maybe typical. Mm, yep. What's right. that like company culture-wise? Yeah, you know, it is hard to build a company that has one unified culture. Yeah. When you have got all these different types of people. Yeah. And some people say the answer to that is you just have to have all the same kind of people. And right. I just, I don't think that scales very well. Yeah. And I also think you lose something when you lose that diversity. Right. So it's certainly true that engineering types don't tend to be the ones who are wanting to go spend 10 hours making a photo book. Yeah, right. Uh, and so then what do you then do with that, right? Yeah. And there's a bunch of things that we try to do to make that work better. Of course, we want everyone to make the product themselves, but you also have to spend time with the customers and understanding what they need. Right. And we've tried to do some events around, okay, we're going to go and everyone in the company is going to go and do an event where we're all painting something, right? Yeah, cool. Doing these creative things, which you know not everyone's as into, Sure. but right. I think it's important to uh, bring out the creativity because my, my feeling overall is that everyone is designed to be a creator. Yeah. Being a creator is who we're made to be. Yeah. It's part of the image of God. Maybe one of the most essential parts 
is a creator. The first thing we learn about God is that he's a creator. Mm -hmm. And in the world, the world wants us to be consumers. The world wants us to look at that commercial, look at that that car, look at that thing, and we're going to consume. And our identity comes from consumption. It's the clothes we wear. It's the brands that we carry. It's the car we drive. It's the house we live in. It's These are the things that make our identity. But actually, no, I think what really makes our identity is what we make. It's what we contribute. It's what we create. And that's where we... That's kind of the exciting thing about what we're doing because we're trying to point people back to, you know, you can actually make something. Right. And that's more meaningful. Yeah, I love that distinction between creation and consumption. And I remember having this conversation. And as a parent, I think about that a lot because so much of technology for my children is just a tool to deliver content to them that they consume. Mm -hmm. And you can just hear their brain cells, you know, screaming in agony. (laughs) dying with all the content they consume but then those same tools that they could use to consume they can also use to create and right. they can create incredible things and it unlocks creativity and unlocks yep. you know ideas that something they may have and they can create this thing from it um so and it does strike me your tool is you know very creation biased i mean it's you're creating you're giving people something to create by but that's actually unique, it seems, in terms of digital images. I mean, like, images are things people tend to consume. And then you're saying, here, take this image and do something with it. Mm-hmm. Have you had any, like, do your customers experience that? Do they, are they aware of kind of what's going on? Or Definitely. Yeah. So even from the earliest times, well, as soon as we really started getting into this creative space with the company, we moved the editor to be much more creative. And there's always a tension there, right? Because the thought is, well, what if we go too far hmm. and now the mass market can't use it and now we can't build the billion-dollar company? What and, would be going too far? Well, b- building Photoshop, let's say. Oh, I see. Right? Too Take it too far. Too many features, too much power, right. too much time. Sure. And But yet, that's where our customers pulled us. Right. And But we always had a lens of, well, if we only cater to the like 1% who are actually already creative, right. then we didn't fulfill the mission because we're trying to draw in a broader group. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, but it, on the same side, we're not trying to water it down so much that it's not really creation anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. We're not going to try to appeal to everybody. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was a really interesting tension. And what we learned, though, is that people have a drive to create, even people who would say, I'm not a creative, I'm yeah. not a designer, I'm not, and we would get this feedback from our customers of, oh my gosh, I was never a scrapbooker, I was never into that at all, I always made fun of my friends who were in that, right. but now I'm spending hours upon hours upon hours using Mixbook, and all of a sudden I feel creative. Yeah. All of a sudden, I understand now why my friends are into this kind of thing. Uh-huh. And my husband is wondering when he's going to get me back, right? right? This is yeah. the kind of classic thing. People would ask, okay, is there, a, is there like a forum or something for mixed book addicts? Because <laughs> right. where am I supposed to go? That's your next company, right? Yeah, there you Recovery go. Exactly. Program. Recovery program. <laughs> right. So yeah, did we get that? That's really interesting. Um, so, you know, you're a Christian and, and you're leading this company and on the surface, you're creating photo books. I mean, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked about how you see this effort. It's not just creating something. I mean, you're unlocking people's creativity, but you're creating something real, physical, that captures memories. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. And we talked about those kinds of themes about memory in the Old Testament. Um, tell me a little bit. I remember you saying an image about like wanting people to capture that moment on the Grand Canyon or mm-hmm. these sublime moments. Tell me about how you think about what you're allowing people to create. Yep. So it's interesting. As I, when these days there's a lot of talk around iPhones, right? Right. I, and I remember sitting on the couch. And one night, and I had downloaded some new game, whatever. And every once in a while, you download the new thing. And I downloaded some game, and I was just sitting there on the couch, just looking at this tiny screen, so intense, so tight, so stressed, playing this game. And it was, was really into it. Right. And then all of a sudden, I just had this realization, like, what am I even doing? I'm so mm-hmm. tense, and I'm so stressed, and I'm just hooked on this thing. I just want to beat this level or get to the next thing. This is supposed to be a relaxing thing. time. This was right? a relaxing time yeah. after a long day. I <laughs> yep. put the kids to bed. I cleaned the kitchen. I did all these things. Right. And look up and like my wife is on her phone too. And I'm thinking, what are we doing with our lives? Yeah. Right? And you realize how much of life is like that, where you get in this locked up cycle and you're just doing the same thing and you're doing the same habits and you're doing all these things. And when are you, when are you remembering the things that matter the most? Right? right. And it's those moments. It's, it's when you know, when your wife is walking up the aisle and you're getting married, it's when you have you first hold your baby in your arms, right? Mm-hmm. It's when you're holding a, a, a loved one who's passing away, right? It's all these moments where you experience something real, where you touch something real, and you realize, no, wait, life is more than the things that I own. It's more than the kind of day-to-day. It's more than the video game on my phone, as addictive as it is. It's right. more than scrolling through Facebook and seeing all the likes and comments and my notifications. Mm-hmm. It's something more. And when you touch on that, you you kind of touch what I, what I want to call real life. Yeah. It's the relationships. It's those moments of the sublime. It's also like you mentioned the Grand Canyon, right? Yeah. It's like um, biking to the top of the mountain and then looking down and seeing the ocean, right? And there it is, right? right? It's... Sometimes it's as simple as you're just sitting on the beach listening yeah. to the waves and then you see you know you see the whales swimming by right? right it's all these moments and that's I think what we what a photo book tends to do and again it it sounds really cheesy uh-huh. but it turns out to be true when I look through these things with my kids I'm reconnecting with the moments of my life and of their lives that are really so important yeah. and it's making me it recenters me helps to recenter me on the things that matter and helps me to get out of the just the day-to-day stuff and get back to, okay, what are we going to go do that's going to create memories for them? What am I going to go do with my friends that's going to create more memories like this? Mm -hmm. What am I going to do that's, in a sense, photo book worthy, right? Well, and it's that that, that's the idea that kind of strikes me, photo book worthy. I mean, because because you're you're, you're helping people to remember, but not remember everything. Right. right? It seems like part of the act of remembering is some type of filtering. Right, right, right. And technology, and more and more so, even our digital images are not filtering. Mm-hmm. You know, like my computer remembers everything I've ever done. You know, there, there's this infinite knowledge. Right. And if I look through my digital photos, there's pictures, there's way more pictures mm-hmm. than I actually want to remember. So it seems like you're not just saying, here's a thing you can remember by, but the act of creating it, you're choosing right. what's worth remembering. Yep. And there's value in that to say, you know, I'm not going to put in my photo book the many hours I spent playing Candy Crush. Right. Because that's not worth remembering. Right. But I am going to put this moment that I spent with my kids or this thing with my wife. And it's that choosing and elevating of certain events 
that's really powerful. So even the process of creating it mm-hmm. seems to be something's going on there that's worthwhile. Absolutely agree. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in fact, one of the most fun things about the process of creating is just looking through those photos and remembering those yeah. moments. Because a lot of times you don't. You're going to get the photos of recent ones. You'll look at them maybe. You'll show just whatever the recent trip. But right. then it kind of goes to some dark corner of your phone. Yeah. And it's gone away somewhere. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think this is, you know, one of the modern dilemmas is like, what do I do with all my data, mm-hmm. right? There's so much data that I've collected as an individual, whether it's videos or photos or, and it just sits in my phone. It sits in the cloud somewhere, but you want to, you feel like you ought to do something with some of it, but that's, it's a burden, you know? Um, so one of the stories I, I was thinking about preparing to talk to you was this story, biblical story in Joshua four, which is where they, and Joshua's just led them across the river, across dry land, which itself is this like physical representation of the Exodus, which they had done previously. And so Joshua tells them, get one representative from each tribe, and everybody picks up a stone, and they build this pillar of 12 stones. Um, and they say, you know, this stone, we're going to leave it here to remember what God did for us. And then the instruction to them is to say, when your children ask you, what does this stone mean? Tell them this pile of stones means that God led us across the river on dry ground. And when it, I thought of this again when you were saying how photo books are relational. Mm-hmm. Because what's happening here, it's not just God saying, remember this. It's saying, take a representative from each tribe. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's included do this project together and then there's intergenerational it's mm-hmm. not just for you to remember but this is for you to pass, pass on. down yeah yeah and kind of keep this memory not just alive for you not just so you can remember the significant things but so that future generations or people you don't know can remember that these things are memories somehow that shape us and, and it seems like that's i mean such a biblical idea to be shaped by remembering. And I, I mean, I, that's why I love what you're doing because it's not, you know, nobody, you're not saying, hey, mixed book is a biblical thing where you're being shaped by remembering. But, but that, I mean, that's just a human experience. And it's true because it's the way God created us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. There should probably be a question in there somewhere, but <laughs> yeah. Well, no. What's funny is actually the original founding part of Mixbook was the fact that it was collaborative. That was a big part of it, right? And so when you start with your books, that's obviously a basic part, right? Yeah. You're not going to write your own whole book. You're probably going to do it with your friends, right? Those are the people who shape your life in high school. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that actually gave us a very different perspective coming into photo books. So the collaboration was a big part. Actually, my first photo book I ever made was about a friend who graduated from college with me and about 20 of us got together to make the book together but there was no collaborative photo book at that time so got together means they emailed me stuff and you put it together and i put it together right and so i thought well wouldn't it be cool if in that process of creation we could have all gotten together to do that and that is a memorial stone in fact my friend said at that time it was the best gift he ever received which is what got me honestly that's what got me hooked on this whole thing and for my for my dad's 60th a few years ago, uh, we got about 200 of his friends together. Each person made a page and all wrote up a little bit about why their relationship with him is so special to them. Uh-huh. And my dad, 
my dad actually doesn't look at it very often because when he does, he cries a lot. Right, yeah. <laughs> because it's very, it's just very powerful. Right. It's very powerful. And so I do think that's, I don't think we really thought about that passage when we made it, but course, it's right. so relevant. Well, it's just, it's baked into us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of how we are. Um, I've, I've talked the same thing about, uh, we're preaching the book of revelation in our church right now. And the command to so many of the churches is to remember yep. the past. And I do think God gives us that command because built into remembering is a kind of filtering mm-hmm. and a kind of selective, you know, remember yep. implicit in that is certain things. But so one of the things I'm trying to explore as we talk with people is just you know there's this powerful stuff that technology can do we talked about you know you're creating something physical to embody memories you're unleashing creativity doing all the stuff but we're also aware and i think our, our the world around us is aware technology can be dangerous and i'm curious you know seems like a photo book is pretty innocuous but i wonder certainly plenty of digital images that are not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, has that come up at all for you guys? I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, there's definitely been content that's created on the service that uh, is not good stuff. Yeah. And we've had to, you know, we've had to do calls to the police and all that kind of thing. Mm. Um, which is actually, there's some interesting good stories have come out of that. How so? But yeah, there's, like, what is that like? I mean, is that something, do you have, algorithms that monitor that or is that all so actually it usually happens at the printer level because we don't review every book sure it'll come out at the printer and the printer will all the printers do review every product Uh that comes through just to make sure it's good they don't review it in detail but at least we're going to see the cover and most of them do get actually paged through Uh not every book but most and so yeah if there's questionable content then it gets looked at most of it the kind of questionable content is of the way you'd expect some kind of nudity or that type of thing, but sure. there's much darker stuff as well, and that's when it involves calling police and involving law enforcement and all wow. that. Wow, it's very unusual, but it sure. does happen, yeah. and we are very clear in our terms: don't put that on our service. Right. And if you do, and if you do, guess what? We'll report it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, have you, you know, be, just being in the industry of digital images, what reflections do you have just about? Um, power of images on the internet and the good power and the dark power and how we protect ourselves, how we protect others. Yeah, that's a good question. Our business doesn't touch on it as much. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty straightforward sure. service yeah. in that regard because yeah. people make a book about our relationship. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Mostly the power of images. I mean, an image is really powerful because yeah. an image can our vi- we're visual we're pretty visual creatures yeah. right our eyes are there's a lot of brain devoted to processing images and right. processing what our eyes see yeah uh, and you can you even think about it in from an, an artificial intelligence perspective right how much can be gotten from computer vision yeah. so much can happen vision is yeah. really powerful and so you look at i just you can show me an image and make me feel something Right. Yeah. It can make me feel all kinds of different feelings. Right. I could just look at an image and feel depressed. I could feel excited. I could feel all kinds of things. I, I might bring back a memory. Um, and that's true for all the senses, but yeah. I think it's most especially true for images. And particularly, it seems, images of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it just occurred to me, I wonder, and this would be probably illegal for you to do, but, you know, I wonder what percentage of the photos contain faces. Yeah, it's got to be high. In your photo books. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sure it's high because that's what, I mean, you're seeing somebody's face. And that... That also struck me just, you know, thinking about 
the theology of what you do and the theology of image and the fact that you know God created us in his image mm-hmm. so it's probably a crass analogy but you know are we photo books of God in some way right like are we somehow physical representations of some part of him in a way mm-hmm. and then but then there's the command to be careful with that like, mm-hmm. don't create a false image of God mm-hmm. because images are power and false images can mislead you in ways that you don't want to discover um, and then there's all this you know stuff about how we now interact with images and faces and emotions and um, I don't know there's just a lot there that I think God wired into us to respond like you say images are so powerful yeah I do think image of God is, means something more than visual yeah I think it means a lot more than visual but I wonder it'd be interesting to find out in heaven what God actually looks like yeah. in as much as we'll be able to see him there right at least I think we'll be able to see more than we see now yeah so that'll be really interesting but I tend to think it has even more to do with our nature mm-hmm. you mentioned <clears throat> our, our creativity mm-hmm. and our our charge to rule and mm-hmm. exert power yeah um it also struck me then thinking about remembering and thinking about the the importance of that that the christian faith in particular is a faith built on remembering Mm -hmm. and um you know we do this this we do this impulse that mixed book enables through technology of of physical representations of memories and so I wear a cross around my neck because it's a physical representation of something that happened. I wasn't even there 2,000 years ago, and yet there's a, something I can carry that reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine people must make books for religious things, too. I mean, oh, yeah. A lot of faith gets captured in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the percentage of books that has a verse in there somewhere is probably pretty high. I can imagine, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, what about just kind of as a Christian business leader, mm-hmm. how does your faith come into running a business? Yeah, I think, well, many many areas. So one of the things you realize, I started the company right out of college, so I did not have a lot of experience, let's say, managing people. Right. Uh, and it, yeah. t- it took me a good while before I got any good at that at all. Uh-huh. And one of the things you realize it's interesting because where we're what we're really focused on now and i think it's a it's an always focus but it's how do you show love to your customers how do you show love to your employees how do you show love to your community right and those those it sounds really simple really basic but i think it's the bible that motivates you to use a word like love right right because business in the the theology of business that would be taught at let's say harvard business school sure. that theology uh-huh. would be if, if you were to use the word love anywhere, and you wouldn't, but right. if you did, it would be love your shareholders, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And Make money for those people. That's right. And, 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 I, and I understand why that's the case, because companies raise money, and the only way that that makes sense or works is that you're, at some point they're going to get some return. And so you put the shareholders first, shareholder value, maximize shareholder value, all this stuff. And what, what that's done when it's unconstrained is it leads to lots of problems, right? right? I've, been off, I've been reading the book of, uh, what is it called? The Smartest Guys in the Room, which is a book about Enron. Really yeah. interesting book. Right. Really interesting. You know, they, it wasn't like it was just one moment they decided to be bad. 
Uh-huh. It was a lot of little choices, little moments. a lot of little things that lead to this, lead to this outcome. So when you kind of come back as a Christian, you say, well, what is my job? Right. So yeah, shareholders are really important and I'm very thankful to our shareholders for supporting us. But when it comes down to it, I believe that as a Christian, my primary responsibility is the people who are within my care, which is my employees. Right. Right. And I believe that if I treat them right, and if I build a culture that treats them right, then they're going to love my customers. Right. And it's been interesting to me. A few years ago, someone challenged me, do you pray for your customers? It's like, whoa, interesting. I can't believe I never thought of that before. Yeah, right. And so I started doing that. And I, I would say I haven't been completely consistent, but it's a, it's, it's a really powerful thing to think about of, yeah. wow, what? Because when, when you start doing that, when you start praying for your customers and you start thinking about it, like, oh, there's things I could actually do in the product that would actually help answer my prayer. Uh-huh. That's really interesting. Wow, right. That's, you could enable that. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. you know, like pray for the people who make engagement books that like they're going to have a fruitful marriage. Pray for the people who make adoption profile books that they're going to get a child who they're going to love like their own. I mean, you start thinking these things. Yeah. You get shivers just thinking about it. Right. And you, it makes you realize how much you get to touch people's lives with what you do. And that's, I believe, true in every business. It isn't just because we're doing this sure. uh, photo book business. Every business has that opportunity. But there's a unique thing. I mean, people take their sublime moments mm-hmm. to your product, and that is the vehicle. That's a, it's a huge privilege. What yeah. A, yeah, what a cool thing. So, But I do think culture, I, 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 the more I've thought about God and I've thought about, you know, kind of, it's kind of weird, the world that we live in. There's lots of pl- flaws. It's pretty broken. Yeah. It's pretty busted. Why would God do that? And why would he create a world that would lead to all this pain for us and for him, mm-hmm. right? You look at as a dad, when, you're, when things go wrong with your kids, how much pain it causes you. Why yeah. would he do that? And you start to think, you know, he's a God who really values freedom. He's a God who wants to create an environment um, that points us back to him, mm-hmm. right? And I think about, okay, well, what does that mean for me as a leader of a company? How do I create an environment where, no, I'm not actually going to micro so that everyone does the perfect thing. Right. But I'm actually trying to create an environment that gives them freedom, mm-hmm. but also that gives them, uh, creates a likely outcome that they're going to thrive and that yeah. they're going to succeed and yeah. that they're going to grow. And that's really hard to do. Right. By the way, you can read 100 books and right. you can get all the mentors and all the coaches and you basically have to if you want to do it well. Yeah, It's hard, but I think it's very rewarding as well. Yeah, I think that... I've thought about that. You know, God's model of leadership is about the farthest thing from micromanaging. Yep. As you could imagine. It absolutely is. I mean, he has let his representatives, his images, mm-hmm. make decisions that are, you know, awful mm-hmm. and destructive and, yep. and evil at times. And, yep. um, and yet, and, you know, he seems to intervene Sometimes, but mm-hmm. not often. Yep. And I can imagine, I mean, that's probably even a little far. You probably... I don't take it that far. You can't take it that far. <laughs> you probably need to intervene as a, yes. as a corporate leader. Yep. Um, is there any type of, you know, one of the questions that's going on lately is, you know, I think for, for years, Silicon Valley was kind of highly regarded and we were the darling of everybody and mm-hmm. the world. And there's this lately kind of backlash against Silicon Valley and the tech companies have no morals and mm-hmm. who's going to teach Silicon Valley ethics. And is that, how does that feel to you as a company leader mm-hmm. in this space and interacting with other 
CEOs and executives like, are people addressing this? How, are there solutions to that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, at a kind of simple level, I think what's happened is Silicon Valley gained power. Right. And so as a simple level, I don't know that Silicon Valley is any particularly more or less evil than they were they're 10 just, years ago. They just have power. They just have the power now. Right. And so, but on that flip side, I think that when you have power comes responsibility. I guess Microsoft is a good example. You know, as a kid, right. when I, as a kid, Bill Gates was my idol. He's like my hero. And actually he's still one of my heroes mm. because he's a guy who got the power and then said, but wait, now what? Actually, no, more, life is about more than this. Right. And he relinquished the power and he took it and said, now how can I give back to the world? How can I do good? Yeah. Right? How, yeah. What can I do? And he embraced that. Yeah. He embraced the responsibility that comes. And what happens when you don't, right? Why does Sundar Pichai or Larry Page not show up to Congress? Why does that make people upset? Right. Because it's power without the acknowledgement of the responsibility that comes from the power, uh-huh. right? And so I, I think that we, we have to now acknowledge, okay, we've got this power, and now we are the cause of a lot of bad too. Right. And now we can't just let it be, you know, if the good outweighs the bad, that doesn't mean you still ignore the bad. Right. Right. How do we then take a lens and take a sense of responsibility to go after that and improve mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and make our mark on the world more good right. as technologists? Yeah. Yeah. Which there's some competing values there, right? Because on the one hand, you're saying give the power away and let other people have the power. But on the other hand, you have a responsibility to manage the exertion of that power Mm -hmm. and to control the good and the bad. And that must be a hard thing to wade into. Yeah. I think it is very hard. Yeah. Do your kids use Mixbook? Yes, they do. Um, so my, they used it this year, actually all, well, I would say two out of the three, my two year old quote unquote, I think maybe (laughs) touched the mouse once or twice, but my, my eight year old and my four year old used it extensively. They Uh did Valentine's cards this year. Um, they did my eight year old actually just loves to design things with it yeah. just for fun. And actually it's has yielded a lot of interesting ideas for us. I can imagine because they just like design for fun in it and design whatever. Right. And then want to print it out right away. And I'm like, well, it takes a couple of days to get it. Right. So it definitely yields a lot of interesting ideas because yeah. kids definitely really engage with creative software. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of the questions as we're kind of wrapping up that I'd like to ask everybody just to get this kind of view on a few things first of all is as a technologist you know you're optimistic i think by nature about what technology could offer what Mm -hmm. what are you most excited about thinking about your kids thinking about the world they're going to live in looking forward what what are you most excited about what technology has to offer us that's a good question so i think technology is a multiplier right so it's interesting elon musk has this kind of controversial statement but i think it's very true we're all cyborgs already we have super memory. We have Evernote. Right. We have super knowledge. We have Google. Uh-huh. Right. We can basically access to any human knowledge instantly. When I was a kid, that didn't exist. Yeah. Couldn't have that. Yeah. So we have infinite memory, super knowledge. Granted, our access to the memory is inefficient. Our access to the knowledge is inefficient, but it's there. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty freaking powerful. Yeah. We have super learning ability. All the best education in the world is available. I can basically fix anything in my house just by watching YouTube videos. I yeah. mean, 
That's craziness, right? And so that has, that's a two-edged sword, right? Because in one thing, it enables a world where you suddenly don't, you feel like you don't need other people anymore. And yeah. so I think our great weakness as a culture and what technology does, technology as it makes us superhuman in that sense, where we're part machine in that regard, uh-huh. it enables us to feel even more independent and lean in even more into that, that side of human nature that's more destructive, an isolationist then? Isolationist, okay. exactly, which is why, you know, loneliness, I think, is the great disease of our generation and our right. age. And it's only going to get more, right? So that's the danger. You're probably that answering your next question. question. But you can start there. <laughs> and the, but the power on the other side is so powerful because whatever you go after, you have so much more leverage now. If you want to learn, if you want to accomplish something, if you want to build a company, whatever you want to do, it is, it's kind of like... If you take the, it's like higher, higher beta is something we talk about a lot, right? Okay. It's like a stock, right? Uh, normal, you know, PG and E or whatever. It's not a high beta stock. It's just right. going to do its thing, right? Unless they major, majorly miss their earnings. It's just going to sure, yeah. do its little thing. Uh-huh. Whereas some little small cap might go, go to a billion or might go to zero, right? right? All of a sudden, their possibility is now multiplied. If they don't do anything by default, then they're just going to be a consumer like anybody else and right. not do much. But if they get motivation, then they could do anything. And they meaning... My kids. Your kids. Any kid. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the next generation. The next generation. And so I think that the possibilities are much more than before. Uh Um, And so... But I do think what that... It'll be interesting to see how that affects the world. And I think the the, the risk is it became easier to do things on your own. And what we want, the world that we want to have is the one where people are partnered. The world that we want to have is when people can understand each other's perspectives. The world that we want to have is where people are empowered and, um, and motivated. Yeah. Empowered and motivated in relationship. In relationship. That's a great picture. I like that. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you for listening to all things new dot tech. We hope you continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog at allthingsnew.tech. We have a variety of authors working together to develop a biblical framework for engaging with technology. Check it out. Join the conversation.